What's going on, everybody? Mike Curlin here of the Bases Loaded Fantasy Baseball Podcast, and I'm stoked to be collaborating with Rotoballer again in 2021 with the Bases Loaded Podcast continuing as part of the Rotoballer Radio Network. Since 2013, Rotoballer has been grinding away, providing millions of fantasy baseball fanatics their fix for in-depth MLB analysis and player news. If you haven't heard, Rotoballer's 2021 MLB Draft Kit is live. And all Bases Loaded podcast listeners can get 10% off Rotoballer's draft kit by using the discount code Bases Loaded. That's Bases Loaded, all one word. Rotoballer is home to number one fantasy pros accuracy ranker Nick Mariano. Nick's 2021 rankings and projections are available as part of the Rotoballer draft kit, along with printable cheat sheets, our top draft sleepers, more than 300 2021 player outlooks, and all of this fantasy baseball goodness from Rotoballer is available for 10% off with the discount code Bases Loaded. Just go to rotoballer.com slash Bases Loaded and get your draft kit kit today. Welcome in, everyone, to episode 141 of the Bases Loaded Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Curlin. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore Curlin. And today, I brought somebody in to talk about strategy. And that is such a loaded, broad topic. But we're going to try to hone in on different aspects today. And of course, a, a friend of mine who sometimes you wouldn't tell we're friends on Twitter from our exchanges, but he is a friend of mine, the co-host of the High, <laughs> of the high Stakes Heat Podcast, known for his high stakes prowess. Good, my good old buddy Dave McDonald. You can follow on Twitter at RunDMCD. Make sure the letter D is at the end. Otherwise, you're going to find a whole different type of person or pages. But Dave, thank you for coming on, man. We talked for about an hour before we start press record. So good to press record. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, Mike. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, we definitely uh, we did basically we did a whole podcast before the podcast, and it's it's awesome. But we we did talk a little bit more. We kind of went off what I call tangent time on this podcast. We yeah. went, we got those out of the way, hopefully. But <laughs> if not, first off, I did mention I would do this. So I'm not going to be a liar. The the high stakes heat podcast has one of the best uh, mascots or what do you want to call it logos in the industry. Rotosaurus. It's taking on a like I see him roar from time to time on Twitter. He's taking <laughs> on his own persona. Dude, I just want to say that's like I just wanted to point out it's one of the best. Um, like I said, one of the best in my opinion. Rotosource.com is the website you produce content for as well. And you can also get merchandise for that as well, right? Yes, sir. Um, we have not started uh the content portion for the 2021 season. A lot of that stuff is like in season or once things are a little bit more uh settled, even though we've been kind of uh you and I have been drafting and and kind of been out there since november we've been you know pretty much non-stop but uh in terms of our website we're not uh we're not at that point yet but it will be and yeah there is uh, merchandise to buy um all credit to our great um well my, one of my best friends and uh our the professional graphic designer who made our logo matt krisiak uh also did the sp streamer logo as well yeah, see, I I just I can't get enough of this logo, man. It's awesome. And for those who don't know or haven't seen it, it, it involves a dinosaur, a Jurassic Park theme, and a baseball. Like you have all these yeah, awesome the things. Like the comet, and then the, yeah. the dinosaur is like catching the ball in his mouth as the comet's coming down towards the earth. It's awesome. It, and it, it brings back there's a nostalgia to it for people like in that age range of the 90s. And it's just it's a lot of fun. If you have kids, it's definitely worth checking out. But people came here for the content, so we should get there. But before we do, I did want to mention your I want to make sure we plug Dave as your co-host at the Dustmite. 
or not Dave, Jake. Woof, wrong person. Right, <laughs> right. Twitter handle at the Dustmite. He's another guy that you got. You guys do the High Stakes Heat podcast together, yep. and I want to not only plug him but plug your podcast. What type of content do you really cover over there? Yeah, so we um, it, it is more geared towards the NFBC crowd, but a lot of it is kind of evergreen strategy stuff that everybody can use, and it's always applicable. So it's not like you can listen to any of our episodes, and it can still probably uh, kind of pertain to what you're doing now. Like it's it's stuff that it's it's strategy, it's stuff that uh, you can always refer back to, and it's not just like talking about just what's going on at that time. So. Um, I definitely think that even people outside of the NFBC crowd would still get something out of it. And you, being that you focus on strategy, what was it about strategy you wanted to put the focus in? Was it because you hear about it, but not as in depth? Because I know you guys get very granular, which is great. You guys really hone in on the strategy thing, kind of made it your own over there, which is awesome. It's just a matter of like, what about is, what about strategy do you think is overlooked even? Like there's a lot, of, again, there's very, very broad questions. So it's like, I'm trying to keep them at one at a time, but it's oh, like, right. even, even my head jumps from like question to question. So what is it about <laughs> strategy you found so important that you felt like, you know what, let's go ahead and put this content out there. Yeah. I mean, there wasn't a lot we felt like in the market, like you can find so many podcasts, you know, discussing WOBAs and, you know, X stats and everything like, and that's great. Like the people who put that stuff out, you know, they're, they're probably experts in, in that field. Um, but I can go look up stats on my own. Um, what I don't have the ability to get is like really in-depth strategies, like thinking about why I should be doing things, why I should come into every draft with a plan, um, have targets that I want to hit with my team and be able to have a plan set in motion to, to do that. And um, we felt like that wasn't being addressed. But the other thing is we've been big on strategy because like when we started playing, I mean, I, I started playing 25 years ago and I've been in high stakes for 15 years. And uh, back then there were no advanced statistics. There was no stat cast. There was no saber metrics. So like we, we didn't really have the ability to evaluate players the way we do now. So the way you gained your edge was through your strategy, was through, you know, rost, uh, risk management and assessment, uh, through roster construction. Like these are the things that made me a good player. It wasn't, you know, talent evaluation. Now I have the tools to evaluate talent much better, and we all do. Um, <laughs> back then we didn't. You know, you all yeah. you know was the players like ERA and how many home runs he hit and his average, but you had no idea what, how, you know, like luck factor went into that. Like Babbitt wasn't even a thing when I started playing. So – like that's that's why we developed those core, you know, because you can be a good player, a good fantasy baseball player without being a good baseball talent evaluator. And I think that that's very important for people to understand. Yeah. And the, the opposite. Like, there's times where it's like, I, I think I'm a pretty decent player. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm transitioning to the NFC format where honestly not saying that you're any less of a player for not playing NFBC. I think that, I think that's a common, but the problem is I think there's a misconception there. I think there is a, obviously NFBC guys, and you being one of them, you guys are well respected as a whole because obviously some of the best players play NFBC, but they're not that those formats aren't for everybody. Those formats also aren't affordable for everybody. So even some of the best players don't always play it. But there is this misconception, and and it is what it is that people think that well, if you're not NFBC, you're not a good player. That's not true. But the reason why I think I think NFBC has some of the best players. So in order to test your, I think I look at it like it's a test for me. How good do I think I'm a good player? How good am I? Well, when I went because I win, I used to win a lot of my home leagues. I had a lot of money saved up. I made that transition last year a little bit. I'm going to get back into it a little bit this year. And I constantly I look at it like it's a test for myself because it's true. Like some of the best players, no, actually the best players, I would argue the best players do play NFBC. And 
how better to test your skills than against the best, right? So it is what it is. I mean, take it for what it's worth, though. And, you know, you have to kind of look at it as um, there's no perfect way to measure, like, who the best players are. But you can say that with anything. Like, you could say the best basketball players in the world play in the NBA, but there's probably some of those players who play in Europe or who would never get discovered or are playing street ball somewhere. But the point is the majority of the those, you know, best players are probably playing in the NBA because – it attracts them because there's, you know, the financial component to it. You know, like when you're talking about spending all this money every year on leagues, you know, you're not going to be able to do that unless you're just really wealthy and you don't mind burning your money if you're that bad. But, you know, pretty much the best players are going to be the ones who keep uh, who keep winning on a year to year basis. You know, it's not just like winning one league one time. It's consistent winning is how you figure out who the top players are. Um, and it's not to say that you can't be in a home league and be really good and everything. And the thing about the NFBC is it provides that measuring stick that you were that you were talking about. You know, yeah. you want to see how you measure up um, because, you know, like we can't all be in the same home league together or whatever. You know, this is an overall component to it. Um, yeah, there's a whole bunch. NFBC is its own thing. There's obviously luck factors too, though. Like yeah. I draft a live main. The online mains are like twice as easy as the live mains. Oh. People who go to draft live are the hardcore sharks like you're not going to be in a league with any less than half your league being sharks i mean like except for mike the mouth mike the mouth is not a shark i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> I, love, in, I love mike. In, in the main event that i won last year actually um i he actually mike um for as much you know machismo and bravado that he is uh, <laughs> he's, he's a nice actually, dude he's a nice guy and he's a solid player he just uh you know he's a little over the top and i totally get that that's a little much for people but um, that's him though that's his that's his persona he's built that's his uh yeah, exactly. he's almost he you know what Pe- people have called you the heel he is truly the heel of fantasy baseball like the dude yeah, just yeah. loves it but he yeah. embraces it it's awesome he's yeah. the bad guy he's the bad guy that we need <laughs> yeah he absolutely embraces it uh you know and and so that's that's great that he you know he he likes that persona about him but he's a solid player honestly yeah. like, we we joke, but he's uh, he's someone you're you're not like excited that he's in your league. You know, there's there's fish, uh, not not John Fish. John Fish is a very good player, but there's uh there's some people who are are not great who play in the NFBC, just like any other league. Yeah, of course. And again, it's I think there is a measuring stick to it. But hey, if you're in your home league and you just want to dominate, this stuff works. That's why like this podcast exists to help you. Not only if you want to make that transition. But if you yeah. want to stick with what you're doing and you're good at it, dude, it's all about making profit, honestly. And if you're if you're really good at running your home league, stick to, stick to it. There's no there's nothing wrong with that at all. Because like at the end of the day, I still play my home leagues because I typically cash in them. Not that I'm like, oh my god, the best player in the world, but I just happen to found success in that league. So why would I leave, right? Yeah, but um, you can do both too. You know, it's not yeah, like I still do both. One or the other. You know, it's uh. It's whatever you want to do, whatever your goals are. If your goals are to make money, I mean, if you're strictly looking at an ROI perspective, the main event of uh, so when people say NFBC too, it's kind of misleading, right? Because there's a lot of NFBC yeah. formats. The main event is kind of what usually is being discussed as NFBC, but that's only one format. You know, you can play satellites, you can play standalone leagues. Like there's uh, a super league that's twenty five hundred dollars to enter, fifteen teams. I usually play that, um, and it's you know, the winner gets 20 grand, but there's no overall component to it. So you have a higher ROI for winning your league. If you're looking strictly at ROI, the main event is not the way to go because a lot of your league prize is getting sucked into that overall prize. So unless you're finishing in the top 10, you're not seeing a good chunk of that money anyway. So, uh, and finishing in the top 10, even if you're the best in the world is really hard. So um, yeah, I, I, I would just say, if you're looking from an ROI standpoint, 
you want to make sure you're supplementing, right? Like you don't want to just do these overall leagues. You want to do, you know, Yahoo Pro leagues are pretty easy to cash in. Um, you know, fan tracks uh, or you know lesser, you know, NFBC satellites aren't aren't that aren't as difficult. So yeah. you just it depends on what your what your objective is. And obviously comfort level. Um, I would recommend, like personally, my recommendation, like where I go, it's, like you have the NFBC fifties. That's a great way to get into yeah. these days. Those are um, for those who don't know. Those are the fifty dollar leagues. Yeah. And that's yeah, I should have had a good good point on that one. It's uh, and that's a that's a cheaper way to transition just to see if you like the format, like the site, get comfortable playing with it. There's a yeah. whole bunch of stuff. That, that's a good it's way. Good, that's a good transition. I mean, when you were coming over, ten FBC last year was your first time, right? Yeah, I did DCs uh, and so, well, champions. I mean, I'm sure there's some big shocks because it's it's a little different. Um, you know, you got two catchers. You don't have uh, you don't have any IL slots. You've got a very limited bench. You can't just stash guys. So, like, what were some of your uh shocks or struggles in your first year i think realizing that just take any like late like mostly late in the draft like i thought i knew the player pool every year i'm like because i've played draft and holds so i had an idea i think yeah. getting comfortable with the whole changing out the offense on fridays was a weird thing to me not yeah. just, not just it being weekly so learning that it makes you realize you need to look at schedules more you need to look at matchups more for the weekend there's a prep process that was thrown into the middle of the week that wasn't always there that yeah. was a big change um what else was a big change? You make changes twice a week. So you make changes from Monday through Thursday, and then yep. you can also make changes then for Friday through Sunday. And you really have to take advantage of both of those times where you have to have the best lineup you can have for both halves of the week. Because I think people just say, well, I've got enough good hitters that I can just do this. You really need to plan it out. Because like if you've got uh, a right-handed hitting, you know, or uh, sorry, a guy who hits uh, only against right-handed pitching, um and, and two-thirds of the face, starters yeah and they face two or three lefties in, in uh a half a week you can't play that guy and you have to make sure that you have someone in your lineup who you can play and who doesn't who isn't like a, a drag on your team yeah and because again this is a uh, these formats the ones i was playing in were the 150 dollar mark draft champions formats um not that P- most, there's a lot of general fans that just play those not, not necessarily all the, the sharks play those but there's yeah. a lot of, but most people that play them know the player pool well compared to like in my fan tracks experience like some of the some of the shallow leagues i started with like 50 dollars drafting holes just to get an idea of how the league went the i felt like not as many people were like as into like the adp and stuff as much a lot, a lot of people were as into the player pool here it's it was definitely different it was it was an eye-opening experience when i'm like over here like oh crap like these guys that are supposed to go later aren't people are jumping adp adp doesn't matter in a lot of these formats and not to mention that just people are just more knowledgeable as a whole but a lot of it could be price point for 150 bucks a league that's not cheap for a lot of people so a lot more people take a lot of people take it serious you know yeah so that was a it was a, that was the uh eye opener too was like making sure i kind of get better with the, not, not only the knowledge of the player pool, the knowledge of the depth of the player pool, I should say, but the overall just just trying to figure out like, man, innings late matter. Like maybe I I, I definitely I was I've never been big on chasing upside and chasing rookies in that format. But when I but now if I do, I'll take I'll take a guy who's close to like a double A AA or triple A, but I'll take them late in drafts. Like a couple names that throw out, come to mind. I can't say enough as I'm big on Brandon Marsh and Jared Oliva in these formats because I think there's a path to playing time for both of them sooner than later, and they're both going outside the top 500. So that's like that. Those are the types of prospects I target. Whereas before, I might have been more li- likely to take a Acuna is a bad example because he obviously popped. But um, I'm trying to think of a name like just I don't know. Maybe the year Buxton came up. Buxton came up. He was kind of being drafted a little aggressively without any track record. Or Vlad. Heck, Vlad's a great example. Vlad's been a five, top five round pick without do without showing any reason to be one for three years now. Yeah, and he's a guy that I constantly avoid because not that I don't think the talent will 
the talent isn't there or that he won't get there. It's that he hasn't yet. And I know part of it is, well, you have to project it, but he hasn't given us a reason to really project it. Yes, he lost weight this year. That's great. But he hasn't given us that, that he hasn't shown us that he can do it. So now it's like, why am I still spending this draft equity on a guy who hasn't given it to me yet? And, and I'd say a decent amount of time, not nothing like it. Don't get me wrong. He's still young. He's still learning, still growing, but man, stuff like that. It's like, I'm learning to, I'm kind of avoiding those players while learning to take my risks elsewhere type of thing. That's a long way of saying that. That's the people who uh, really rely on projection systems. Cause I was looking at the projections on him the other day and it's like, you know, 290 average with good power. And it's like, they're looking at his max EV and everything. And I'm like, okay, I get it. He has all the tools to put together. But I think us projecting him to put it all together is uh, aggressive. Um, and it's that's, tough. that's why, personally, I don't rely on projections. Um, I, I just I think that there's things that those systems miss, and I think that there's uh, things that they account for that aren't necessarily all there. Like, he has the ability to do that. Doesn't mean he will, though. I mean, if his launch angle is, like, one, he's not going to hit 30 homers. <laughs> so, uh you know, I don't know. If he puts it together, I'm okay being a little late to the party. I I gotta ask now. This is when I, this is why I go into tangents, and this is why this podcast is. We we haven't even made it to like the 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 meat and potatoes of it, but we're still. And I, this is back when I referenced you the very first time on this podcast, which ended up being a whole end up end up actually making us probably closer in terms of our friendship and all that. Yeah. Was um this was what this is what I was talking about by the way because of the way me and you talk. I knew there would be no way we'd get through this podcast like the way I expected it because no, we just yeah. feed off each other. We just start. This is what I was referring to. I just want to make that very clear, Dave. This is exactly what I was trying to refer to when it was mis- misconstrued. So anybody oh, listening, okay. gotcha. Gotcha. this is what this is what I was saying. Like We haven't even made it into the meat and potatoes and we're 15, 16 minutes into the podcast. You know what I mean? So, I, um, dude, I would have, <laughs> I, I wouldn't have even known except for the fact that I had literally like eight people DM me like, yeah. Oh, did you hear the shit that Curlin is talking about you? And I was like, oh boy, here we go. But this, but this is this is like when people said I was, and I explained my mis, like the miss. That's why I took that uh, whole what what Mason said. Never talk about somebody with without them on your podcast, except sure. for Mike the Mouth. I will always give Mike. <laughs> anytime I have a chance to take a shot at Mike, I will. But it's because Mike knows I actually really like him and we get along pretty well. But it's also we do on Twitter. So I like yeah. to think Mike's a good Mike's a good. Uh, he likes to have a little fun. But regardless, but I took that advice. And now it's like and then but this was actually what I was trying to get to. Like ultimately was me and you okay. are going to never get to the point because we just love getting right. going off. To, like we were sticking to one topic and kind of look, it's awesome in its own subtopic. But anyway, back well, to this. I got to ask you about somebody. I'm oh, sorry. Do you want to say something? I apologize. <laughs> I was just saying, yeah, we love talking and uh, yeah. talking baseball. And, and, and you know. Like you said, uh, when you brought it up, um, I felt like I had to address it. But I told you from the start, I know you don't mean any malice by this. We're friends. I just wanted to bring it up and, and just you, have a yeah. conversation about it. That, that, was, that was the whole point. We did. It's done. And we moved yep. on. Exactly. But speaking of that whole thing, because I have a couple questions here written down. But um, speaking of <laughs> Vlad, yeah. How, so you're obviously you have reason to, to be less than confident in, his, in him in that projection of him being good. But you lack that confidence in Vlad. How can you be so confident in a police? Act, or I guess police act show the success, but in a Rosarania, I guess, because police act, I can understand it. I've kind of come around on him a little bit. I'm okay where he's going. I'm not, he's not somebody I actively target, but police acts a guy I'm okay with, but Rosarania, I can't wrap my head around. He had a decent, he had a decent uh, regular season, the huge postseason. I get it on the biggest stage, but he's still unproven. Wasn't necessarily a top prospect, what is it about Rosarina that you really are holding on to this whole, like, I believe in them? Because I know you're a Rosarina guy. We've had this discussion. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, the main thing is it's one thing is past the value. So like with Vlad, he doesn't give you steals, whereas yeah. Reyna is that five category contributor. Um, and so even if the power for whatever reason isn't there or the speed isn't there for whatever reason, I still have something. Um, and that's something that I don't think enough people think about is if I'm drafting someone and they're, you know, like look at Buxton last, last year. Did anybody expect him to not run at all and to hit all those homers? I mean, but that's the thing because he's still, and I'm not saying draft Buxton, but <laughs> I'm just saying in general, those guys who can provide value outside of just one area give you other paths to value outside of if something goes wrong. But with the Rosarena, the thing is he was such a good hitter um, in, in that stretch, like late, late regular season through the playoffs. The reason, I mean, I don't think you're just going to luck into 10 home runs in the postseason. And it's not just about that, though. It's about he struggled. I read um, Matt Williams's breakdown on him, which his breakdowns are always great. But um, he was talking about how he struggled with off-speed pitches. Well, he crushed off-speed pitches in the postseason. And this is something that people do a lot is they see a guy struggle against off-speed pitches or fastballs or whatever, and they assume that that means something going forward. And it, it often doesn't because baseball is a game of adjustments. And a lot of times, if you're a good hitter, you're going to make adjustments. And we saw that with J-Ram going from 2019 to 2020. A lot of people avoided him as a first-round pick in 2020 because of the fact that he really struggled versus off-speed stuff in, in 2019, or at least for half of 2019. Yeah. Uh, and then in 2020, he led baseball. He was the best in baseball against off-speed pitches. So good hitters make adjustments. Randy Rosarena is not a guy who just came out of nowhere for me. He was a guy who I always had my eye on, who I was very high on before, but he just didn't have a path to playing time. So until, you know, and being on the Rays, that's the, that's my biggest. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask. <laughs> that's what I hate. That's, that's the only thing that's keeping me from pushing him up even further is because I know how the Rays are. They're going to give him days off. Um, I mean, he's going to play pretty much every day, but he's still going to get days off because that's how they do it. I mean, Austin Meadows got days off uh, even before he was struggling. So um that's that's really my only concern with him i i'm a, a believer in the skills and there's a lot of paths to value for him and he's very much someone who i could easily see me see being a first round pick in 2022 well the, that's that was funny that you mentioned the raise i was hoping to get there because that is one of my bigger reasons for apprehension with randy yeah, rosarania because and because if he struggles guess what they do Oh, we're gonna move you down the lineup. We're gonna give you more off days. We're yeah. gonna we're gonna yeah. platoon you like yeah. that, like oh the Rays. I know like, people complain about the Dodgers and their their ways of you know being do the Dodgeritis with the pitchers. The Rays are very much like the Dodgers, but with everybody. Like you you get a lineup spot, you get a lineup spot. Everybody gets line like they're Oprah of lineup spots. You know they just <laughs> give it, they just have give they just give them away, man. And that's why like like Joey Wendell. He's one of those guys that I'm actually in on because I think at the very least he's a strong sign platoon guy and they always find his glove plays as well. And it's just one of those things though. They find ways to get guys like that playing time. He's got multiple uh, position eligibility yep. too. Nice. And he'll probably still keep doing that. And he's good for batting average and stolen bases. That's Joey Wendell I'm talking about. So yeah, but going back to Rosarena, it's just one of those, my biggest thing. It's like, I have a hard time with such a small sample size making one top like where he's going in NFBC formats specifically. Rosarina is going top top fifty, top sixty, like in that range. 60. If he's around sixty-ish, I know sixty, sixty-five, you'll see people reach for him a little bit. But if he if he was closer to pick eighty, I'd be happier. And that doesn't sound like a lot of equity or a lot of difference in price and evaluation. But but let, but okay, you also have to look like let's look at the next couple of guys in the outfield going after him. 
Um, I mean, and, and I know this guy has second, third eligibility also, but Kevin Biggio, are you? Nope, I'm out on him. Right. Uh, Trent Grisham. I mean, he's a guy. Who I like can, Grisham, though. <laughs> I like him. I like him, but he can easily move down in the lineup. Um, and I've heard people. Against lefties, he does. That he'll, right. He hits, he hits ninth against lefties, but is it feasible, too, that he could end up hitting ninth against righties as well? I mean, he, he's really strong against righties, though. I don't know. They added well. I mean, that's that's true. But they it's added also feasible for Randy Rosarini to drop down the lineup if he struggles. He's batting. I, he's projected about third right now. You know, you got, right? But uh, I mean, if he struggles, sure. But I I could see them moving Grisham down even if he doesn't struggle. But listen, I, if you want to take Grisham over Rosarena, that's fine. I don't think he has nearly the upside that a Rosarena has. Um, but if that's not what you're looking for. I get it. But then you got, you know, you got guys going like Teoscar Hernandez. Who knows where he's going to hit in the lineup? Like six. Yeah, um, I'm not a I'm not a Teoscar guy at his ADP right, either. So, so look at the guys going around a Rosarena and after him and like who who is a better pick there is the question. And I don't see anybody. I mean, Judge, massive injury risk. Uh, you know, Castellanos struggled. All of these guys. I mean, Conferto's valid, but he doesn't give you steals, so I no. I I understand the price tag, but it's like, but you're saying you're, you're focusing on outfield. I'm looking at like I'm more likely to take a pitcher here. More m- most time, maybe maybe that's part of it. Um, sure. I'm also or I'm still an, I'm a believer in Austin Meadows, so I know I can get Austin Meadows a few rounds later. Maybe he doesn't have the speed upside as a Rosarena, but he has a power. At least he has he has he has five category potential that i think there's a path to and i think there's a big bounce back coming in for austin meadows so he's i guess it's a level of confidence with him i have that maybe others don't well, I mean, I, he goes at like 93 but that's I, the thing so i don't have to take a rosarina there knowing that i can get a sk- similar skill set later on I, know, I, I mean if, if we're gonna say like he's like this you know combo guy home runs and steals it's not like you only want one of those guys like you can add multiple oh i agree guys. i just think there's i think it's about oh. limiting risk although, between the although, two sorry. i wouldn't want both Funny you brought up another Ray after you just told me. I know, I'm afraid. <laughs> I didn't say I didn't say I was uber confident, but there's a discount there. I'm getting this Ray 50 uh, 50 picks later, roughly. I'm also getting or about 40. I'll say 40. Uh, about 40 picks later, I'm also getting Austin Meadows, a guy who's supposed to be leading off more times than not, will be on the strong side of a platoon at the very least. Whereas if Randy completely struggles, he'll be he could fall to the weak side because he's better than his lefties. Randy is starting as the player that i know i'm I'm projecting a little i'm also putting a little projection trust me i'm i'm not as down on him as i was and by, by him i mean a rosarini i'm not as down on him as i was initially i'm just frustrated at the draft cost because i don't see maybe i don't see the path to that first round pick type of potential that oh. you're seeing in the future in future by as early as next year and i i guess what i'm saying is i'm willing to be i'm willing to miss out on that remember how you mentioned you're willing to miss out on was it vlad I'm willing to admit, you have to be willing just to be willing to be wrong here. And I am, you think you see the path of playing. I can see the path. I can't say I don't see it. I just don't believe in it as much as others. And that's where I'm differing. That's so, fair. but I also wouldn't want to I also don't want to leave draft season without one share, like to be honest. So like, not that I won't have a share or two. It's just a matter of, I don't have any right now because I'm having a hard time with that, with that, with that market price. And if he has a big time spring, if he comes out and hits a home run the first day of spring, forget about it. He'll be a, he'll be a, th- a third round pick. <laughs> second, be, uh, you think I'm kidding? You know how people react. No, I, I, I don't think you're kidding. <laughs> like, it's, it's sad. You're laughing like, oh man, wait, he's no, right. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm agreeing. It sucks. Like that sucks. Like that's why you have to be like that's why drafting. People say don't draft early, but man, there's an advantage to be had there if you pick the spots right. Heck, my best teams last year, my DCs were all before the shutdown. 
I got really good values compared to people because all that extra time people had to prep for the season. Right. So, yeah. Anyway. All right. Um, I wanted to touch on one thing in terms of just real quick. How did you actually transition from home leagues to NFBC? What was that transition point? Like, where did it come from? Where was it? Uh, why? Yeah, uh, I was I was in college and uh, at the time, 15 years ago, Jesus, I'm old. Um, <laughs> and uh, I saw an ad somewhere, you know, that they've got this grand prize for it. You know, they 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 intentionally put out, you know, that they they had this grand prize of a hundred thousand dollars because they know, you know, you just you see that number and you're like, oh yeah, I want to go do this. You know, <laughs> I was like, you know, I think at the time now it's like seventeen hundred, uh, but I think it's one hundred and fifty thousand now. Whereas, yeah, and I think it was fifteen hundred dollars for an entry fee. Um, and you know, I'd been playing successfully for a while, and but you know, at like a home, well, not just home leagues. I played like uh, I don't know if you were familiar with like CDM games. Uh, they did, no. Okay, they did like a draft and play where it was like it was ten teams, but it was uh, you know you, you draft against other teams for like you know you could play a hundred dollar leagues, two hundred fifty, five hundred, a thousand. Like it was fairly high stakes. Um, but then I see this NFBC and it's like okay, you can go to one of these cities and draft live. Um, but I'm this twenty two year old kid, uh, <laughs> you know, and I go to Chicago is one of the locations. My dad is currently working in Chicago at the time. And so I stayed at his condo and then he took me to the to the draft and I walk into this room and it's literally nobody else in the room. I, I, I'm half the age of the next <laughs> guy in this room. Um, you know, and they all look at me like, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I feel like I probably got a little lucky, but I ended up getting third in my first year uh, of, of doing NFBC and I was just so hooked. Um, I came back the next year and I brought my boys with me. I brought, you know, my podcast partner, Jay Callisker, I brought Tony DiVincenzo, my main event partner. Um, and then like, I brought like three of my other friends who were just wanted to come and party. We were, you know, 23 year olds. <laughs> so, you know, we were, we were just like having a blast for the weekend and it was St. Patrick's day weekend. And, uh, you know, they had the parade going on and the, you know, turning the, the river green and everything. And it was a blast. And then after that, people started talking about, Oh, you really need to go to Vegas though, because that's where it's really at. Like they've got all these events and, um, like the bulk of all the players are there. Cause there's only like one or two leagues going on in Chicago. Um, most of the people go to Vegas to draft. And then there's also New York is another place where, uh, you know, they've got more than Chicago, but again, less than Vegas. So the third year I got my friends together and we went again. And, uh, you know, at this point, Jake and Tony are still just watching me play. Um, and then, you know, down the line, eventually as they got more money, they, they played when I, when I entered my first, main event that was like that fifteen hundred dollars i think i had like 150 dollars left over after that that was all of my money at the time you went all in man i went all in yeah exactly and luckily i got my money back yeah hey man we've all been that young once i'm not much older i mean i'm i i did enter my 30s last year so i'm turning 31 this year but uh honestly up until about five years ago that would have been a lot even beyond probably three years ago that would have been a lot of money for me still and it's still obviously it's not a price point that i'm comfortable just spending yeah because my wife would kill me more than anything. That's probably the biggest reason I don't just I jump mean, in there. Yeah, I, I'm single, so thankfully that's not something that I have to consider. Uh, yeah. It's not a small like, amount of money for me either. I don't have, like, I'm not rolling in millions here, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll do another $1,500 entry league. But um, it's more that this is part of my income that I actually count on. Uh, so I actually need to play fantasy baseball to yeah. make money. Which is, which is, you know, it's great because I love doing it and I know that I can make money on it every year, but it is, you know, there's always the risk, right? Like, you yeah. don't know, but that's why 
don't enter one big league, you know, enter a bunch of leagues. Diversify. Know? Yeah, exactly. Diversify both in your, your shares in case you're wrong about players or in case a fluke injury happens or whatever. Um, you know, diversify the types of leagues you do, Yahoo, Fantrax, NFBC. Um, Best ball is great. Like the, the, the half of the double ups. I don't, I don't do best ball. Yeah, I don't know it well enough that I feel comfortable investing in it, even though I know you can do it for cheap. And I'll probably end up doing like one cheap league later. But right now, I'm still, I'm, yeah, I'm still in roto mode right now. I, I'm, yeah. I'm not at the point that I can switch my brain. You know, I'm not Phil Dussault who just creates a, a system that puts number values on everything. And, and okay, this guy above this guy. I don't have that. I like I, my process is much more nuanced. So, uh, and, no, don't get me wrong. His is his is not simple by any means. But once he has his numbers, those are the numbers. Like this, he's guy the robot. Right? He's the robot. He has his own he's segment. He has exactly. the own, he has his own segment on Rob's show. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> man. I, I love I it. called him the robot a while ago, and it stuck. He it did. It. It's yeah. awesome. It's dude. You've been called worse. I've been called worse. Oh, the robot. No. <laughs> the, yeah, I mean it's fitting for him. Like literally, Phil Duso doesn't have opinion system is is all it is it's system tells him awesome this and he yeah i mean think about how that is though like for us oh, to yeah. come to something like with that cold and calculating like where you never manually adjust anything like system says this i draft this but phil didn't even know major league baseball like three years ago coming into this like that's awesome to sing a, a, a system to play this just as like a way to make money and and like and wrong with that. successful at it like this it, it's crazy to think about that is, I, I didn't know that about Phil. That's awesome. I need to get him yeah. on and talk to him about you that. Should, that is, you should listen, you should listen to uh, High Stakes Heat Robot Pod. It's uh, <laughs> Robot Pod. Okay, uh, that's a, that's an easy one. Yeah, it's really, it's a good one. That's an easy one to remember. Uh, yep. Robot because it has his name on it. Oh, Robot! Yeah. Man, it's such a good nickname. So he actually sponsored the pod. It's not one that he's on. He sponsored the pod and gave Jake and I a bunch of questions to answer. But we talk a lot about how he came into the business and and how what his approach is and all that stuff. It's good stuff. That is pretty cool, actually. I like that. I like, and Phil's, and for those who don't know, Phil's a very, very smart and successful player as well. So, oh, yeah. again, it goes back to there's no right way. It's all about finding the process that works for you. And yeah. these guys have been doing it for years. It just feels. Yeah, he and I could not be more different in our approach, but we've learned the most from each other because of our differences. Yeah. And that, that's why I always tell people don't just talk to the people who are the most similar to you talk to the people who are different from you. And that's why Mike, I, I like our interactions too, because we argue about a lot. We don't agree and that's okay because we, you have the most you can learn from the people that you don't agree with. Yeah. Because there's angles on players that I haven't thought to look at. And then I'll talk to somebody I'll go back and look and I'm like, Ooh, okay. Maybe I should read I should adjust. Like I'll be the first one to admit. I think I even tweeted it. I'm actually, I was, I was I was under the misunderstanding when it came to Dylan Moore. I was under I was fed false information. I misunderstood that he wasn't going to be getting everyday playing time because I guess there was a misquote or somewhere I forgot where I read it, but I read somewhere where he just wasn't. It was it was general coach speak that they were trying to you know make Shed Long feel like you know he should come in ready to compete, but there was never going to be a competition between him and Dylan Moore. That was just and the, uh, well, that's that's a big deal though when you coach speaker coach speaker not you know it's yeah. uh it's still. It was something that made me think, well, and you know me again, we're talking about, we're talking about trying to, you know, mitigate risk and all that. When I hear any type of playing time concerns or potential for playing time concerns, I get, I get a little scared off. So I'm, I back off. Cause like, I think, and I think a lot of it with you and I, I was jokingly, it was like tongue in cheek last year. I was like, all right, I want the all, the all like 
risk team. I wanted to get Stanton and Mondesi and just go for it, go for it in 60 games, right? And it was more tongue-in-cheek, but that's how I think that was kind of our, our first time interacting. So you kind of took me serious. And although I wasn't, I was joking, I still was like, you know what? I want to test this theory. It's worth a shot. And of course, you're like, well, please do it in my league, is, is what you responded with. Yeah. And uh, and but but it's funny because now you I wonder how much you you be you're hearing me talk about risk uh mitigation you're like wait that's not the mic i talked to and it's almost like <laughs> it kind of it must throw you off like you have no idea what to expect because you don't think we've ever drafted in the same room together well people people grow a lot from year to year you know we were talking about this on the pod before and i, I tweeted it out earlier you know like michael Simeone, sp streamer uh our buddy a uh, good friend of ours both of us oh the draft kit uh, forgot to plug that oops anyway go ahead and, and, and zach waxman who's your uh who is your partner in the upcoming tag team uh mm-hmm. and league that we're in together and those two, like, I've seen such a change in their approach from last year to this year. They've gotten so much better uh, with risk evaluation and with, you know, like Zach, not taking every prospect. On the <laughs> uh, but seriously, they both come a long way, and I respect what they have to say. And I didn't initially start off that way, but that's okay. Like, it's okay to, like, I, I got you you wrong initially because you were joking or whatever about Stanton and Montessi. Because I, 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 we actually, if I... If I... There's a lot of people out there who have that approach. I mean, Siege yeah. has got that approach. Like, I, they think that you have to YOLO it because there's an overall. They're like, well, I have to take these ginormous risks. And it's like, that's not what it's about. It's about not missing uh, more than other teams. But there's also a component of looking at the upside part of it. And you're talking about Dylan Moore. And, well, A, there was never – the playing time was never really a concern for me. But even if it was, you'd still have to look at the fact that this is a 125 pick. This isn't like a top, you know, 50 pick. And, you know, you're talking about a guy who can provide four-category value with all those steals that he can give you from a weak position like second base with outfield eligibility, too. There's a lot of things that make him a good pick. In my oh, I – again, I can see it more now, and I'm, I just looked him up real quick. I'm trying to see who's around him. And at the yeah. time, it's like – well, right now, I see – I can't even say at the time, but Swanson is right there, and I, I feel more confident in the production from Swanson. And right now, they're going about 10 picks apart. So – actually, nine picks apart. So that was a name that comes okay. to mind that – so one thing, I sorry, just to clear this up, for ADP, I feel like whatever you're looking at is probably not great. It's NFC um, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you probably <laughs> like you want to yeah. have it from like the last two weeks and draft champions only because yeah. if, you, if you leave it on general NFBC, you're you're getting a lot of like points leagues and different formats that you don't want. Because uh, like what I'm looking at right now, there's a much bigger difference between them. Uh, Moore's going like 125, and Swanson's going at one 100. So it's like a 25 pick difference between them. Yeah, that is that is a big difference. Yeah, okay, so 125. Okay, I'm looking at from February 1st in Dress Draft Champions, but yeah, but uh, but that's before. Now I'm I'm good with this price. Now I'm I, I'm actually okay with taking more here, no problem. Before though, again, I wasn't as confident in the playing time. You take away the playing time, there's guys like Correa. Even with the injury history, I was willing to take a shot on because you know he's playing every day. And this is where I'll start taking. Uh, you don't have to like it. This is just where I'm, I would start taking. <laughs> this is where I start seeing some of the like, like if you want to talk about taking risks on injury plague players, which I usually again don't. This is where I might take my first shot. But the, it depends though. Matt Chapman, not usually an injurious guy, not the best, no, not really any stone bases. Bang average is iffy, so he's more a three category producer. But, but, but why Matt Chapman? Like, what am I getting from Matt Chapman? Well, that's the thing. My, at this point, at this point, at this point in drafts. Usually by now I have my foundation built on offense. I usually have my speed. I usually have my batting average. So okay. here is a guy where I think could produce po- uh, plus power. So this is where I might, all the third base is kind of deep. I still like, I feel like I can depend on the, on the power with Chapman. And there was some stuff I liked in his profile that he changed that 
we'll see if that sticks. But overall, um, Chapman's a guy that I just not that I target actively, but was a guy that fit my team builds at this point so, more. What's the difference between like Matt uh, other than position, like Matt Chapman and and Paul DeYoung at like two hundred five? Like, what am I? I just, what am I getting so much more from Chapman that it's like that's the point? Like these three category producers that don't give you batting average or steals are fucking everywhere in the draft. Like I can get them at any point in the draft. So why? That, that's why? very. That's very. That's very fair. And that's so very why, fair. And why Chapman earlier is the question. Other than like, yes, he's a third baseman, and obviously third base isn't you know the deepest position. But I mean, I don't know. I just I don't see. It's the why. skill set. Yeah, you don't find it appealing. I get it. I think there's a level of safety there. I know he got hurt, but that was like, like he's not usually one to get hurt. He usually plays every day. A guy you can kind of set and forget. I like roster stabilizers. I kind of maybe overvalue them. But I mean, it's Paul Young not that also? I mean, Paul Young. I, I, I guess, maybe, maybe, but maybe that speaks more to Paul Young being undervalued. But the shortstop position is also a lot deeper. But I mean, so Paul that, Young isn't like that was just one example. I pulled that was a good example, but pulled like seventeen others. Like Miguel <laughs> Sano goes at pick two hundred. I mean, if you're looking for power with no average, you know, like it's just. I just I also think that like okay, so Sano Sano being that his batting average could be like two twenty. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of scares me off of him. But okay. going back to going back to De Young, that might speak to more so De Young being undervalued, and, probably. And, and, that, that's probably that's probably what it is more than anything. But we also saw him not hit for a good amount of power last year, and his metrics have never been fantastic with power. So well, I'm wondering how Card- much of the Cardinals with their COVID situation last year. That's, that's true. That, that that's a big thing in my assessments as well. And players. they had all those double headers. Yep. I mean, it's just that was a lot of. I mean, okay, you can even take a guy like Austin Riley at like going to like two. I love I love Austin Riley. I do too. But that's my point. Like, <laughs> I lack, of, lack of track record there. I can make. I, I mean, I can make a point for anything. <laughs> like lack of track record for, with uh, with Riley. Sure, but, but you have to make concessions somewhere. Is the I point. agree, and I just don't see why anybody would even think about Chapman for where he goes. That's just me. I'm not wrong, and honestly, to be completely honest and fair, I haven't drafted enough to even. I'm just throwing out names I like more in a vacuum, not necessarily. But and also, I know how I build my teams, and usually by there. I'm looking at more. I'm looking more for power than speed there. And but again, that's this was prior to me coming around on Dylan Moore because Dylan Moore's playing time is a lot more secure in my mind than it was. Yeah. So in this area, this range, like as much as I like, as much as I like Tommy Pham, his injury prone nature scares the hell out of me. Um, I'm just looking at other names in here, and like I said, Correa was a guy I settled for because I just hate. I don't like this range at all. I even might even go pitcher because I really like. I'm, I'm you know I'm done telling you who I like. because we draft a pretty damn big league coming up here at the end of the week. I was going to say, can we drop this episode after that? Because I don't really, we don't really want our uh, competition hearing who we like. Well, the good news is, is players I've, we discussed, you've openly discussed and Dylan Moore. Uh, (laughs) Well, Dylan Moore, somebody you've been pretty vocal about on Twitter, uh, please sack and Rosarena. Those are guys you've talked about openly on Twitter. And that's pretty much all we've discussed, but we know you don't like Matt Chapman. I will write that down. (laughs) Um, But in all seriousness, it's okay because you're right. The skill set is easily is easy to find. Maybe maybe I'm overvaluing the potential there because I think there's still a ceiling we haven't seen. Okay, so well, that, that 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 would be a thing. If you think that there's a ceiling, you know, beyond what we've seen, like if you think he can hit, I don't know, 45, 50 homers with like a 260 average, then he might be worth taking that. And I do I do think there's a ceiling we haven't seen. I think he offers you that power production or potential for power that Matt Olson does go that who goes with like 30 picks earlier. I think I he offers that I I can uh, you don't see that path. Of, you don't see that path of power, do you? I mean, I just the power only guys early in the draft are the most overrated players. Oh no, that I agree. I thought I thought you were saying you don't see a path to that power production. I just oh, I no. do. yeah, I do. 
for, I do for- without having to pay the price is what I'm getting at. So it's like, so Olsen, uh, uh, Alonzo, sorry, Olsen and Alonzo are guys that kind of stand out for their power, but being three category guys, those aren't guys I usually go, go towards. But again, by the time I need power, Matt Chapman usually fits my team build because I see a path to that 35 to 40 home run potential while hitting 250 plus. And I, again, you can get that early in the draft. You can probably get that a little later, but I think there's a sweet spot there because I think that could be the floor where there's still a ceiling for over, over 35 home runs, over 250 batting average. And although that's not common, maybe that's not common thought process on that Chapman. I just think that there's a ceiling we've yet to see with him. And he was making an effort to put the ball in the air more last year and all that. So I, I don't know. I, I, I'm intrigued. I'm not saying he's somebody I have to have. He's not a must get guy, but again, this was prior. Now I still, now I would have, now I would take a little more ahead of him. So watch out. But before, before we <laughs> would. So that's the problem that I yeah. think. Oh yeah. I forgot about Zach. Uh, so he's a big Dylan Moore guy like me, unfortunately. Yeah. But the thing is those, and we won't talk about too many, again, we won't talk about too many players here to give away all the secrets, <laughs> but these are just names that come to mind, yeah. but you realize we've gotten this far and haven't talked about injuries right. and yeah. Injuries. <laughs> we haven't talked about anything yet, but injuries. <laughs> Dude, I was worried about this happening. I, but again, it goes back to I told you this would happen with us. I just I, I knew it. I knew it. I wouldn't I have and for people who can't see, obviously nobody, even you don't see, I have an outline in front of me. And we <laughs> haven't <scared>. really <laughs> um we might have to do a part two, but um, as of right now, injuries, you are known yeah. and vocal about being anti-injury, anti anything like that. What is it about? injuries like what is it about like injuries that you put into your analysis that you're so like the reason why you're so afraid of certain players maybe if you want to that you are kind of avoiding due to said injury issues yeah i mean the miss the miss uh conception is that i don't take risks i take risks i just don't take them like early in the draft like um you know for example you darvish and Co- and cody bellinger are, are you know off my list completely uh i would never consider them in the first round for a, n- a number of injury related reasons um, as well as other reasons too. But I mean, you know, you, you take a guy who, uh, and I, I guess the big thing is I'm known for because last year I, I told people Justin Verlander and Chris sale were being really overvalued because of their age. Well, Verlander's age, cause he was 37 last year in addition to uh, his, his injury risk um, and Chris sale Anytime you hear a pitcher and PRP, which is why Lamette is now being uh, faded as hard as he is, never take a pitcher who gets PRP. Basically, that's someone who needs Tommy John, but they're trying to avoid getting Tommy John. And the only person I know who's successfully done that is Tanaka. Uh, everybody else who's gotten PRP has missed significant time and or eventually gotten Tommy John. So when you hear PRP, stay away. I don't care what their upside is. You're, you're likely overpaying for them. And that's the thing, like people saw sale, you know, going a little later, like by later, I mean like the third round instead of like the first round and they thought they were getting a deal on him. Like he's on sale or something, you know, it's like, it, it's not. No. <laughs> I um, love, oh, this, this show big on dad jokes. So thank you for that. One. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and by this show, I mean me, I, I'm a oh, sucker for, it. I don't know what it is. I love is me a good dad. Is it sad that I didn't even think about that? That I didn't even know I was making a joke. He's on sale. Yeah, I mean, you said yeah, he's on sale. I mean, he's on sale like from a store. Wow. Yeah. At first, that's hilarious. But um, yeah, I mean, you gotta, you can't be thinking like just because someone's past their ADP, if they're a big injury risk, they're probably not going late enough. Um, it's the biggest thing. If I were to pick one edge that I have over the field, it's that um, I do thorough investigations into who 
I think you need to avoid from an injury standpoint, and then I avoid them. And uh, people who take those risks very often get burned. Uh, I, I tweeted out last year like a list of, I don't know, 10 guys who I was like, if you're thinking about like these guys as like the upside of them instead of their massive downside and injury risk, then you're doing it wrong. And it had, um, you know, guys like Stanton, uh, Sale, Verlander, um, Eugenio Suarez, because he was coming off a shoulder injury. It was all guys who flopped. I think the only guy on the list who didn't flop was Adalberto Mondesi. But even then, his first six <sighs> weeks were such a flop. And then he just made up for it in the last, you know, what, three weeks or whatever it was. Um, so, I mean, yes, he did recover, but I would still consider that uh, a, a partial success. But Yeah, okay, Mondesi. We talked about him off the air. I, yeah. I don't know how you managed to bring him up now, but you did. And I, I, I'm i very vocal about being anti-Mondesi. Yeah, and I just can't like I, you can't. I, I'm I'm just so frustrated with him because it makes no sense. Like I look at him and he's one of those guys the wheels will fall off eventually. And I guess I'll just keep being. He's almost like the opposite of um of Nelson Cruz, where you know the wheels are gonna fall off, but they just haven't. His yeah. I, I feel like he's more so riding on three wheels, where the third wheel is about to fall off and he's about to be dragging the rear end on the on the road. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like that's what I think. Like there's a difference there. You know, a flat tire for for the old man in Nelson Cruz. That's, I mean, his worst year, he probably, probably put up 35 home runs and hit 250. The worst yeah. year for a bad year for Mondesi, the, those six weeks showed what scares me about Mondesi. And I, again, another tangent I hate to get into, but I can't help it <laughs> is that uh, we know Mondesi can, we've seen the lows. He can we've, hit 200 and he's starting like going to hit like seventh in that lineup because with yeah. Benintendi, they've announced that they're hitting him second. So um, yeah. I don't know if they've announced it, but I've heard the GM and manager say that they're planning on hitting Benintendi second. So that tells me Montessi is hitting at best sixth. And so I just don't know what kind of production you're expecting to get from him in the early second round that you're going to be happy with. It's I think it's because the projection systems are projecting him for like almost twice as many steals as like the next guy. Yeah. Uh, it might happen, but it's such a difficult team build with him because you either are going to say – you know, screw it. I'm going to rely on him for all of my steals pretty much and not draft steals. But then if something happens to him, if he gets demoted, if he gets platooned, if he gets, you know, injured, you now are at such a deficit in steals because you don't have any on the rest of your team and you're not going to be able to make those up uh, on the waiver wire. Or, I mean, I guess if you're in a league that has trading, maybe you can do that. But it's just, it's such a huge risk from a guy. Why not get a guy who gives you like 30 steals uh, you know, and also gives you good stats and isn't a huge risk to bust like he is. Yeah, he's uh, the thing about Mondesi, and that's the thing I, I, I couldn't think about my thoughts for some reason before, but with him, the lows are going to come. His He's a very volatile player. The plate discipline is very, very bad. Rough. <laughs> I'll try to be nice. You said you're just straight bad. It's the worst in baseball, honestly. Like, who yeah, is one worst? of them? Who has the worst play? Who has worse plate discipline than him? I don't even think there not is. many. Uh, he's like, like other players in the bottom five. With Montessi and certain plate discipline metrics are guys like Luis Robert Robert. I apologize. Um, Luis Robert was there last year. He's also a very volatile player, just very toolsy. Um, Keston Hero was down there. That's what scares me. That's what scared me off about him. He was in the bottom five in some of these categories in terms of plate discipline metrics, specifically the contact rate and the swing strike rate were really horrendous for a hero. That's what that's what's really kind of turned me off with him. And although the, but he has pedigree and known for his hit tool in the minors. So I think there's a path to that improving because he's just that type of prospect. But until he shows it, that's where my apprehension is with him. And, uh, but Modesty doesn't, hasn't shown that at any level. 
in terms of being able to not be that guy. So the lows are going to be there. But what scares me is what if the highs don't hit? He had to be so great for three weeks to make up for the six weeks being that terrible. What if he doesn't ever, ever, what if he doesn't hit that high and over a long period and over a full season, how many, how many more lows will he go through than highs? And will the highs always be as high as they were to take the lows away? So Mondes is so volatile that I'm scared even over a full season, we don't get the production we're hoping to get out of where we're taking them. So that's yeah. where I'm scared with Mondesi. And the big thing compared to Robert, um, you know, Robert is a rookie for one. I mean, yes. he came in last year, uh, 22-year-old. Um, yes, he struggled, and that's to be expected with anybody with the 25% plus K rate in the minors. But, um, I mean, Mondesi has been doing – people don't know, Mondesi has been in the majors since 2016. And his plate discipline uh, has not gotten any better. And yes. he does not – smash the ball like robert does because it's it's also the batted ball quality uh yes he is not he's not a judy like he he has some pop but he is nowhere close to robert on that level and uh i, I expect robert to take a a decent uh step forward whereas with Mondesi, i don't there's no reason to think that he should take another step forward the only thing is yes i agree and i what scares me about robert not that he doesn't have the talent especially for fantasy leagues to be a top a 15 pick in the coming years, you know, top first round pick essentially. But yeah. with Robert, or it scares me. And again, I, I think it's Robert. I think he actually said he let oh, us so recognize it, it. Yeah. Uh, what was it? It, it is Robert. Um, I think they, or wait, where is it? Ro- no, it is Robert. You're right. He, 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 someone called him Robert and he never corrected them. And then recently came out and said, well, yeah, it is Robert. And, and it's so confusing to me because we always called him Robert. And then we mm-hmm. heard, Robert, and then we started calling him Robert, and now I have to switch back to Robert. Yeah, so I'm guilty. I'm guilty of it too. So it's one of those. It's a work in progress because we true just like anybody else, just like analysts. I try to get names right, and heck, I called Jake Dave today. So yeah, that happened. But (laughs) (laughs) I try to I I try to show respect by getting players and 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 other and analyst names right. So Robert, the thing about Robert that scares me is that there's a lot of scouts I respect that have said that he has trouble seeing like movement on pitches, seeing oh. like seeing. So like, yeah, yeah. They like, he has trouble like seeing curves and, and other stuff like that. So if he can't see if he's having, if he has trouble identifying those pitches that I just wonder how much can he get better at that in one off season? Not that again, long-term I don't really have my concerns, but how much are we going to see Rob Robert actually improve in year two when he's actually entering probably his first it's his first real although he got his first taste last year it's his first real true season in terms of how things function proper uh travel schedules proper length of a season the highs and lows will be there because he's volatile but dude yeah the guy has immense talent robert will be a stud long term for fantasy because even if it's 230 i think it can come with 25 and 30 when it comes to stone bases and home runs so Good. also what scares me about robert is is, is is where he hits in the lineup he might be hitting seventh yeah. as well at yeah. best all year because they have so many they have Mankata, who we're all cl- hoping that gets bat second, but probably Eaton does first, which is dumb. But whatever, like, that's a whole other discussion. And I've 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 gone on record as saying I think Rosarena is going to be flat out better than Luis Robert uh, Robert this year. And I mean that's the other thing I think it's hilarious. People are thinking that Rosarena is this huge risk, and nobody talks about Robert. Robert is a late second, early third round pick. Uh, you know, Rosarena's fourth rounder. So um, I it's it's kind of funny to me. Yeah, there's they both have their risks. I do think so, but I think if you look at just objectively at the, the everything around them, the only thing in Robert's besides the tools being a little flashier, the only thing in Robert's um, I can't think of the word favor. Uh, yeah, in favor. Thank you. <laughs> Some host I am. I can't even say the word favor. The only thing in uh, Rosarino's favor, sorry, in Robert's favor, is that 
playing time isn't a question at any given point because that's not the raise. That's probably the only thing. And again, he's a little loud. The tools are a little louder. There's, there's a little more power, a little more speed. But I think Rosarina, it's it's comparable in terms of power and speed because we saw that he could do that. And I think there's a better batting average there, a path of better batting average. So I agree. I'm 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 not as high on Robert as others are. I do think he's. I think I think he can be that talent. I'm just not there yet in 2021. That's all. So, man, who am I getting for speed at this point? Then, <laughs> like at this point, like that's uh, why you gotta get it early, man. You got to get those guys in the first couple of rounds who can provide you legit speed, but also give you some uh, some power and average as as well. Because you're it's slim pickings after that. Yeah, it's but it's tough because if you don't take it, if you don't take your pitchers early, pitching flies up the board in some in a lot of these drafts as well. It's like a pushing ball, man. You're always trying uh, to figure out like where, how do I lose the least with every pick? You're just like, okay, I need this, but I also need this, and I need this. So like, where can I get all of it together? It's tough. And this is why you play multiple leagues because you just never know what's going to work honestly especially this year i think 2021 just isn't fair for us we're all coming in with our best guesses and the least amount of information in terms of what teams are going to do because we're coming off a year we like we've never had in 2020 that we're changing the ball um, oh yeah it's deadening it and it's going to be a different grip for pitchers that's what scares me the most is what happens if uh you know some pitcher just can't throw this ball the same way that they want to or whatever i I don't know. I'm hoping that they that they've given these pitchers the ball to to throw. Uh, I doubt it. <laughs> I don't know, man. That scares me a lot because, like, you know, what, someone, you know, what if someone can't handle the the ball? Guys come over from Japan, the ball's different, and they struggle. You know, like that scares me. Yeah, but they, but I think it's going to be a positive change for pitchers because by deadening it, you got to think the laces will stay the same if not get raised, allowing pitchers to grip it better. Because the big issue with the juice ball was how low the. I remember pitchers complaining constantly. Couldn't I think it was. I think it was. Yeah, I think it was Thor that mentioned it was like gripping an ice cube. He couldn't grip the ball, so. It can't. It, I doubt it's ever going to get that bad again. Is my point. So you got to oh. think. You got. Th- you got to think. Deadening. Deadening the ball would be the opposite of putting. Uh, would be the opposite of the of the of the the gripping issues. I can't think of, again. Uh, laces being lowered. We'll see though. Again, it's to be determined. You're right. It's a lot. Yeah, but, I just don't think any kind of big change though. You know, even like tough. a player changing teams or whatever. Like you never know how that's going to affect yeah. them on a mental level. Um, Look what different bets. Like I honestly wasn't sure what to expect with him running last year, and yeah. bets ran a ton last year. Yeah, that, having Dave Roberts as your as your coach is good because you know he's a big base stealer. I just yeah, but I still didn't expect it because well, first off, he hadn't signed right away, right. and then I wasn't sure like, how aggressive did they need him to be on the base paths when they have. The hitters they had behind them so i was scared about that but it, i turned out to be not a problem it's, it's good for those guys when they're hitting like in the one and two holes more than like the three four five because yeah. you definitely are usually you see guys more free to run when they're hitting towards the top of the lineup than the middle or at the very bottom like um if biggio does hit ninth he should still sustain running yeah i just but but if he hits third now because his obp is so good he should still stick at the top of the lineup but i don't think he deserves to be a three-hole hitter whatever i don't know man that's gonna be that's a whole nother conversation about biggio (laughs) all right let's get into some helpful hints um i don't want we're gonna have to probably we might have to cut some of this to be completely honest but we'll see what we get to because dude i mean it's been a lot of fun i love talking about this stuff so it's, it's definitely a different feel you know the typical podcast i run is more player evaluation centered this is more like just overall talking draft talk whatever i can't again having a hard time speaking um helpful hints though and i, I dub this area helpful hints because there's just so much to go through so overall i think one of the things you talked about in the draft kit which again 
people don't know, Dave and I both contributed to SP Streamer Draft Kit. You did a whole strategy section, which was, I think, what, you said 50 pages, and then when Mike changed it, it ended up being close to 100 or something? No, no, no. The other oh. way around. So I wrote, oh. like, 100 pages of, like, normal font, and then, like, he made it minuscule, so it's technically, gotcha. like, in the draft guide. <laughs> Regardless, it's a, crazy, it's a crazy amount of work, and there was a lot of good information, but one thing that stuck out right away was how you talk about weaponizing Twitter, which I've heard people mention before, and it's underutilized, but what is it about Twitter that you think needs to be, there has to be more focus on? Yeah, I mean, I just kind of talk about how everybody needs to be on Twitter, first of all, because when you're looking for information, I mean, you have everything at your fingertips on Twitter. Not not just opinions from people, though. I'm more talking like you can follow beat writers, you can follow the team itself. Like, you can follow people who know what's going on, and when news happens, if you're following the right people, that information will find its way to you quickly. Like, you're going to know, you know, okay, Lindor just got traded. You know, what does that mean? What's the fallout? You know, who's who's playing where? What are, what are going to be the changes going on from that? Um, and if you follow the right people, uh, and I kind of talk about this in the draft guide, but, you know, it's okay to, like, follow whoever back and whatever. You know, these guys are your friends. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they can help you uh, from a fantasy baseball standpoint. So I mute people who I don't. I mean, not to be mean, but I, I do mute some people who I don't feel like contribute to my uh, fantasy knowledge, I guess you can say. And so that way all the tweets that I – so like when I do a player search, if I search for, you know, Luis Robert, uh, I can search by people I follow, and then I can see, you know, the relevant information from the beat writers and from the analysts who I really respect um, and kind of not have the waters muddied by all these other people saying things that I that I don't – value i guess you can say so that's how i use twitter like i follow every team's beat writers like the through the athletic through their you know whatever the local papers are there whoever contributes good knowledge on players that's why i want to be following and so that way it just it really helps you so that anytime you have a question about something you can search for that player and hopefully the information that comes up is going to be really relevant information for you and uh there's just so much of it on twitter that it's 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 a huge help. And I, I honestly don't know how I played high stakes before Twitter because like it's, it's helped drastically. Yeah. And we talked about before I, I'm going to tweet it out probably after the show. So it'll probably be out before you even listen to this, but it's going to be that list I shared with you. I created this list last year of just beat writers and other news areas where you don't even have to follow all these people individually to get the information that you're talking about. So it's, again, it's, it's, even I under I created this and I underutilize it. Like I just I don't know what it is. I, I feel like some like my my attention gets taken elsewhere. Elsewhere, but this gives you such an edge in fantasy that people don't realize. And that like you said, not even just this, but like following like you get you get an inside track to a lot of analysts. Like it, people, your favorite people you listen to. Uh, like yeah. it could be it could be one of us. It probably isn't, but it could be one of us. It could be um <laughs> like heck, uh, you could tweet at people and not that they'll get to every question. But they'll answer a lot. And heck, sometimes they don't get to yours. But if you read through the responses, you'll get the answers you want from people you want to hear from yeah. throughout the feeds, especially the bigger names. There's a lot of big names that you know answer a lot of questions. So Twitter, I, I again, like you said, I didn't realize how much I was missing out playing any league without Twitter just because of the, the – like, I used to wait for ESPN to publish – push. I used to have my notifications, push notifications on for ESPN, their app, because they would drop uh, relevant news and notes about players, about injuries, about all that. On Twitter, the second someone leaves a game, if you go to the cer- a certain beat writer or a certain page, you can find what the injury is, 
the, the possible the significance of it, like how 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 can how hard how bad it can be within minutes to like an hour. Whereas on like if you're waiting for push notifications from ESPN app, it could be a couple hours, and by then your teammates have a head start. Especially if you have one of those, if you play in those leagues, which I I can't I can't do anymore. The first come first serve waiver wire leagues. Yeah, that stuff is like this type you of information is gold. Be on top of it, and I I have someone in my group, uh, our friend Marcus. He I don't know what he has, what his setup is. I should ask him sometimes. But, like, anytime something happens, he knows it first of all of us. And it's like if I'm playing in a Yahoo Pro League, it's first come, first serve waivers yeah. at a certain point. And I can go on and, you know, like, let's say something happened and someone's the new closer. He tells me immediately. He, we posted in our, our group thread chat on uh, through our texting. And I go and pick him up immediately. Yeah. You know where I am. It's so useful to have that. And I would say and, Matt Williams is probably the equivalent of that on Twitter. Like Matt always posts like relevant news the second it happens. I mean, not always, but it's a lot. And that's the thing about Matt. Matt, my, but he's probably you see him what he's doing. He's usually quote tweets where he's getting it. So right. he and he's following. He's following a lot of these same beat writers. So it's like all about even if you're not following these beat writers individually, or even if you are, Twitter reacts so quickly. And someone like me, I'm on Twitter a lot. You're on Twitter a lot. Yep. We react, but there's times where I'm like two hours. I got on the other day and I was two hours, three hours behind something. I still quote tweeted it just to get it out there to help spread awareness. And people did probably see it for the first time when I did that. But I, but that's the thing. It's like, I will, I'll, you'll never be the, it's hard to be the first to do that. No, but I, it's just, it spreads. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I said, sorry. I said, I don't need to be that guy. Like I'll let someone else do be like, yeah, the, well, like, give me. Sometimes if I happen to be looking and I'm on my phone and I can quickly, you know, screenshot it, crop it and throw it on Twitter. I'll do it, but you know, I, I don't, I'm not out there trying to be the first for everything, you know? So. Oh, I'm not. I just try to give my fantasy yeah. twist on it real quick. My, my instant reaction, so to speak. And right. that's, that's what I do it for more than anything. Cause yeah, like you said, I'll never be the first, but that's the thing. It's but by doing that, you're still just, cause someone might just have, you might be happen You might happen to be on someone's feed because you know, the algorithm is weird. It's all about yeah. who you interact with a lot. So yep. if someone's following you, interacting with you a lot, you retweeting that might be the first time they see it. So yeah. that's why that's yeah. why I always just retweet a lot of stuff like that because if I think it's going to help your fantasy team, I'm going to help you. But that hurts me in the process. And just, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And just one more thing on what we were talking yeah. about before is this: I think it's equally important to know, and I, you know, this is up to everybody on their own to decide. I'm not here to tell you who to follow, who not to follow. Um, but I think it's equally important to know not just who to follow, but who not to follow because. More information is not always better. Everybody has their own rankings and opinions, but you really need to decide which analysts you trust their, the opinions of and which you don't. And it's okay. You know, you don't have to tell them like, hey, I don't trust you or whatever. <laughs> Just I, the people that I mute, it helps me so much because not having to, to be conflicted by getting information that's uh, kind of their analysis is very flawed. Um, knowing who not to listen to is very important. I know that's not nice to say, but it's the truth. Like, if you want to be a better player, you really need to, to figure out on your own which analysts to listen to. I've heard you say that before, and man, do I always wish you drop a couple names just for the just for the. Oh hell no! Never. <laughs> Never. I always hope you do. I'm I'm waiting to find out who mutes me. I feel like there's a couple, but I don't. I there's no mute, there's, there's no stopping this. I, I will tell you this. I do not have you muted. Well, yeah, I, I honestly know that because we argue too much for you to have me muted. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know this. Like, there's no way I'm muted on your thread because you always we find each other too often. But you mentioned there's good follows. Is there any you mentioned Matt Williams? We can plug him at Matt Williams, W uh, M A T T W I 77 I A M S. 
Um, you can find him on Twitter. He just recently got a new gig over uh, at NBC Sports. So congrats to that. Yeah. Is there anybody else? I know. Um, I know you follow a lot of people, yeah, and there's few. The problem is if I start listing people. Yeah, I'm you're right. People off, and then and then it becomes a slight to them, and I don't want that yeah. because like you know you can name like a couple people off the top of your head. But then, like, someone's gonna be like, "Oh, you didn't name me." And I, I have some sensitive friends on here, so I don't want to. I don't want to. Uh, yeah, I get it. I get. It. You're right. You know, you're 100 right. I shouldn't even brought that up. So Matt got the one plug. That's it. Sorry, <laughs> well, sorry, Simeone. Sorry, George. Uh, well, Matt is the kind of guy who puts the information out right away. Like that's all I was saying for that. I'm, he's a great follow. Aside from that, too, with his player breakdowns and everything, but. Um, other people are great follows too. That's just not their niche. That's no, all. I get it. I'm just saying, but in terms, in general, because I was trying to, you know, I was thinking, well, let's plug some accounts. Let's have some fun. But you're right. No, you said it, and you're right. People will take it the wrong way. People will listen to this and be like, oh well, that sucks. I wasn't mentioned, and I'm like, right. it's not, it's not personal. The problem is, is my list of mentions as I interact more and more with people, it grows, mm-hmm. and it's like it's hard to remember everybody, and then you yeah. feel bad because like. I can't even tell you how many times I forgot to mention my own co-hosts when I when I do a Twitter thread or something. Like, like it, you'll 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 always forget someone, and that someone won't forget that you forgot them. Yes, and it's and no matter how many times you include them going forward, it's like that right. one time will stick, and it's not personal. So we're gonna erase that segment and move on. Um, <laughs> I I, put, I kind of did it separately here in pitching and hitting. I don't want to get too granular. And I mentioned this cause it's like very, it's very vague, very broad topic. We could get into a podcast on its own, just drafting, pitching, drafting, hitting, yeah. but are there any helpful hints? Like how do you want to build? Let's start, let's stick with the core, a core foundation. I feel like that's sometimes I feel like people overlook the core foundation of a team. So busy focusing on who's going to break out. Who's going to be a bust. Who's going to be a, a sleeper. Yeah. Let's let's talk about the basics. How do you just let's we'll start with pitching? What does your core foundation look like with pitching typically in a draft? Or how do you like to overall just attack the position? Pitching is a little bit easier to describe how I attack it because like I eliminate a lot of guys right off the bat. Like if they're um if they're older, uh if they're like you know 34, 35 or older, uh, I'm not drafting them, at least not in the first several rounds. Um if they've got a long injury track record, I'm not drafting them in the first couple rounds. Like, there's always going to be exceptions, but not early in the draft for me. Um, and then outside of that, I think that a lot of starting pitching is really just comes down to a couple things, and that's missing bats. So, like, their their K rate and their their walk rate is a big thing too. You can look at K minus walk also. Um, but I like to look at them separately. Like, I don't like guys with uh, a walk percentage of 10% or more. Um, I I think they are, you know, when you have that bad of control, there's a lot more risk there when you miss pitches and when, you know, putting guys on base, it can hurt you a lot more than like a guy like Bieber, who's never going to walk a lot of guys. So the only way you can really beat him is by hitting home runs. So you got to hit a lot of home runs to beat him. So I like to target guys who I feel like their profiles are safer than others. Um, you know, when we're talking about upside, I like that later in the draft, but early in the draft, I'm just, I'm looking for production. I'm looking for innings too. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm not looking for guys like, uh, you know, say, um, Corbin Burns, for example, is a guy who I love his stuff, but I, I don't trust that he's going to give me 150 or more innings. Um, he's a guy who's, he was a reliever for part of the time in 2019. Uh, and he only pitched like 50 innings last year. It's really difficult to see him making a big jump in innings this year where he's going to be able to give you kind of what other guys uh, around him are going to give you. So those are, those are the main things that I look at when evaluating pitching is, is, you know, strike rate walk. I mean, it's pretty simple, but 
then you can get into the more nuanced stuff of evaluating, okay, who's going to take the, a jump up. But, um, you know, I'm really looking for guys who are going to, uh, who have the, that profile of stability and they're going to give me innings and strikeouts. And uh, I never look at wins um, because that's not a predictive category. Like So random. I mean, when you're talking about roto categories, wins shouldn't even be something you really consider outside of, okay, I have these two guys about the same. Like, let's say you have, you know, Castillo and uh, uh, Aaron Nola uh, rated about the same. I would look at the two teams and say, okay, which offense is better? That's the that's the guy who I'll go for. It, it's it's with wins. It, a it's a tiebreaker. Yeah, it's a tiebreaker, but it's it's also how deep you go into games. Like if you are very inefficient, like Dylan Lamette, who doesn't often even go five innings, then you're not going to have a good shot at wins uh, compared to the guy who goes six seven innings every time. Um, so you want to look at that, and you also want to look at your offensive team strength. So you know if you think that. Philly has a really good offense, and you might favor Nola over Castillo. Oh, that's so scary. That, that division's borderline scary for me, man. I, I hate when we start thinking about the AL East. And, and, yeah, division is another thing. Or NL East, sorry. So, yeah, but like, you know, the AL Central, for instance, is a really nice place to pick pitcher, pitching from because they get, mm. to face, they get to face the Tigers and the uh, even the White Sox strike out a lot. But, you know, the Royals suck and, you know, the Indians have not gotten better. So uh, there's a lot of weak teams there uh, to face with your pitchers. Yeah, that's why going back to the NL East and the NL Central, um, that's why I like you brought those two up. And that's where I actually that's why I actually put Castillo ahead of Nola, although I really like Nola. I I think Nola is great. I just I start looking at like, well, what's the difference? And the big difference for me is like that division, man. I mean, that's so that the central is like everyone's selling off pieces. The East, everyone's buying and everyone's competing. And yeah, that's like that. that I mean, I'm we're I'm nitpicking because I do like both of them. I think they're both great. They're both in my top. I got to look like six or seven. So they're, they're back to back for. So I'm literally nitpicking right now. For, for <laughs> me, I don't have them about equal. I have Nola clearly ahead of Castillo. Oh, do you? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Castillo's not a good whip guy. Like if I'm taking a starter that early, I, I need like that elite, like sub 1.1 whip and, and Nola can give that to you. And Castillo really can't at least. I need Simeone. Um, yeah, I know. I know Simeone loves Castillo. Uh, Fourth overall in his ranks, I think. And he's like, he's like, he's like, I'm going to live and die by this. I had him on the other day. I had him on last podcast and he was talking about that. I'm like, Hey, do you, man? I don't blame you at all. Like, take, take your stand. You know, I I said Bieber was SP two last year, so you know it was. Uh, you you gotta you gotta do afraid, you. Don't be afraid to take a stand on someone. It, I don't. You know, it's that it's not like that's out of the realm of possibility for him. I just don't see it with the whip. Uh, where and and I also think that Nola has more K upside too. So we'll see. That's uh, that's my opinion. So I Nola's a clear pick over Castillo for me. But yeah, if you. If you have them rated equal, then you then look at the division, the offenses, and like you said, Castillo's in the NL Central, which is a lot easier than the East. And that's like I said, and that's like you said, teach their own. Do you have like I feel like I'm in the middle, you're lower, and then Simeone's like clearly the high guy on, on Castillo, and he's probably oh, listening. Oh, I am. I mean, I like him. I just you know, well, just like just like I'm trying to think of a player that it's like I'm okay with him. I just don't. I'm never the high guy. I'm never the guy who gets him in drafts. That's the, there's a lot of those guys for me. Like not somebody who's off my board, but somebody I just don't get because I'm not high on them or higher than. There's always somebody in the draft higher on them. That's just like I guarantee you. I can almost guarantee you Castillo goes off the board in the second round to, to Simeone in that draft. But whatever. 
<laughs> we'll see. I mean, I don't want to. Th- I don't want to throw things out there. I shouldn't have said that, but sorry, Mike. <laughs> Anybody who knows you knows how much you love him, so it's not really a secret. Um, that's, like, that's like saying he's going to try to get Michael Lorenzen late in that draft. I mean, like don't. shocker. Yeah, <laughs> he had him on his podcast. You don't. Uh, yeah, come on now. <laughs> but uh, which is uh, you know, if you want to check out Mike's work, just head over to Bases Little Pocket. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> SP Streamer <laughs> Podcast. It was a good. It was a good episode with Lorenzen. Definitely worth listening to. Oh yeah. Um. Let's talk about hitters a little bit. It's very yeah. similar to pitching, I would think, at least in the early rounds, building that foundation. You kind of want to be more safe than sorry, but you are willing to take it. Looks, I mean, I call it a risk. I call it a risk with the Rosarena. So if you're willing to drop him, I look at it a little bit of a risk, but you could build some safety around that. I don't want to speak for you. That's why you're on the podcast instead of me speaking for you for once. Speak for yourself, of course, in terms of uh, how you attack hitting early on and building that foundation. Yeah, so for, for me, it's more about finding the resources that I need early in the draft so that late in the draft, whatever the <laughs> plentiful things are, that's what I can be taking later. So uh, like the first baseman and the outfielders that go after pick 300 are ridiculously good compared to the middle infielders and to a degree, the third baseman that are available at that point. So that means that I want to make sure that I have my shortstop, my second baseman, my third baseman filled before those later picks and I want to, so therefore, I don't want to be taking a lot of outfielders and first basemen in the first, you know, earlier in the draft. Um, and so that, like, kind of takes a lot of guys out of consideration. The only times that I make exceptions is if it's, like, a guy like Juan Soto, who I think could, like, hit 350 or 360, and that could just care, literally carry a team. Um, more so in an overall league than, like, an individual league, though. But <clears throat> um, I think there's, like, a very definitive top nine starting pitching and or uh, sorry, shortstops. Uh, actually, I'd say eight, but Mondesi's kind of in there too. But I, I don't like Mondesi, but there, I feel like there's a huge drop-off after those top nine shortstops where if you don't get one of those guys, I think you're at a severe disadvantage compared to everybody else in your league who got one. Um, so therefore, I'm usually looking at how can I get what I need early on in the draft? And if I think I need that elite shortstop and I need you know a couple of ace-type starting pitchers because I also think that those fall off a lot, I'm always looking, and I know you asked about hitters, but this is kind of just overall strategy. But That's fine. That's what, hitters, that's what you're here for, man, overall strategy. Yeah, and I mean, I'm looking at the whole draft, and I'm starting from the back, and I'm saying this is what I can get late because, like, in a 15-team league, and I know not all of you play 15 teams, and so this doesn't necessarily apply if you're in a 10-team league, but I want to look at what's available later and then say, okay, I can get this later, so therefore I need to get these other things earlier. So I'm just looking at – where can I go to get the resources that I need? So, you know, the, the stolen base guys that you, if you don't take them early, you have to, you have to take some really crappy guys later. And then those guys are usually the kind of guys who end up losing their jobs, platooning, getting benched, demoted, whatever, you know, like your Malik Smith, your Gerard Dyson, your Billy Hamilton, those kind of guys. And like this year it could be like Roman Quinn and Miles Straw, like guys who, I Seems- missed Billy Hamilton just to cut you off real quick. I miss people taking him in the fifth round is what I miss. <laughs> uh, well, my team just signed him in real life, and I'm really hoping that he doesn't even make the team. Oh, he's going to be a leadoff hitter. Watch. <laughs> oh, so bad. That would be so bad. Uh, I, I hate that I can't rule it out, but I'm hoping given that we re-signed Cesar Hernandez, I'm hoping that that doesn't happen. But It's sad. I was joking, but yeah, now that you I mentioned mean- <laughs> You know, when you, when you have a cheap-ass owner, that's that's the kind of things that happen. But anyways, yeah, you want to avoid those bad steals, guys. Like, you want to get steals from guys who give you some power and or average as well. You know, you want to get it from, you know, guys like Story and Trey Turner and Tatis Acuna early. But then even, like, later, you know, 
got Whit Merrifield, Starling Marte. You know, there's guys, uh, you know, Cabrian Hayes can give you steals. Rosarena, you want to be getting steals from those legitimately good hitters because I think people get too excited over like the 40 to 50 home run guy. And it doesn't, you don't need that. Like you can take a guy who hits 25 homers and also gives you 20 steals. And then later in the draft, when they're drafting the Miles Straw guy and guys like that, you can take a 30 homer bat who's still available because that's what's left at that in those positions. So you want to get those resources. You want to look at basically players more as resources than as, you know, actual just players, I guess. So you're just trying to figure out where you can get those things, those stats uh, in different parts of the draft. Makes sense. And it's funny because the problem is, is, and I'm sure it happens to you. I think it happens to a lot of people who are very knowledgeable in the player pool. You can keep looking deeper and deeper and finding the stats you need. And that's the problem. It's like, I tend to overvalue players. I, I, I've gotten better, but I've te- in the past, I've, tend to, I've tended to overvalue players going late that I shouldn't have. Okay. And yeah. it's because because I find value in them because they offer a skill set I think is very attractive later. Like they might be a cheap source of steals and they're and they're gonna be batting top of the lineup, but they're they're a bad they're on a bad team. And then they eventually move down because they just aren't that great, or vice versa. Like a guy that I'm trying to think of a name. Like, well, like <sighs> mostly power though, I think Harris is a guy who like, you know, he can provide a bunch of steals, but how secure is he in his I mean, he's not a good hitter. I, who was this? Leody Tavares. Leody, okay, yeah. Leody Tavares. He's not a good hitter, so like he can lose that job. And like this is a guy that you're depending on for your steals because you chose to take power earlier in the draft. Whereas if you waited, you could there's so much power in the draft you can take. Like we were talking like after pick 300, you can still get legitimate power. I mean, Jonathan Scope is going like 340. I mean, like that's why you don't need power early. You want to get your build up your average base because everybody going late. It's not going to help you in average. They're all power only guys, pretty much, and 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 crappy steals. So you want to get your steals in your average early, and then supplement with power later. I got you. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to hear me argue that at all. I just don't want to give away too much because you already have. No, I'm kidding. Anybody, <laughs> I feel like this I, again. I feel like I asked you information that you've already openly put out there. So I just no, want to keep fine. keep it along those lines. It's all good. But, I don't like to give away everyone's all, everyone's secrets. I just don't. I think um, I think people, especially in the high stakes realm, deserve to hold on to a few things close to their chest because you guys are putting a, quite a bit amount of money on there, so it's only fair. So I never try to ask too much. But we are going to talk about waivers. Fab, it's it's its own animal. It's it's truly a league by league specific thing. I don't want to get too much into Fab, but overall, okay, I want to start with shower leagues because I know you you play in some home leagues still. You mentioned even Yahoo leagues. Are you? really aggressive with the with the waivers in shallow leagues or do you kind of like are you more patient because the players are better that you draft what's your overall in just shallower formats your overall strategy when you look at waivers um so we're talking about waivers not fab right yeah not fab because fab again fab is its own monster i don't want to mix it either we we honestly might not even get to it because that really is a a crazy segment we can get into maybe you know what let's not rule it out let's just talk about let's start there let's just start where we're at I mean, with waivers, all I'll say is it's not like fantasy football. Like, you're not holding off uh, waiting for, like, this monster uh, running back to, to emerge. You know, like, for me, uh, the first – I'm not going to say I'm going to use a waiver claim on a guy who I think I can pick up for free after a waivers run. Um, you know, but if it's a, if it's a decent player, I'm going to use I'm – I'm not never going to hesitate using my waiver wire immediately. And then I'm just going to keep using it because um, I think – too many people are too conservative with it. And I think you should be using it like a lot. I think you should be making a lot of changes. I think you should be streaming hitters every week. 
um, depending on your format. But I mean, literally every week you can find hitters on the wire who have a better upcoming schedule, who are going to be hitting better than a lot of the lower end players on your team. And you shouldn't hesitate to plug them in, uh, even if it's just for like, you know, a week. Um, I think there's a lot to be gained by streaming hitters and I'm going to use my waiver claims a lot. So I don't, I don't ever, you know, hold off waiting for some monster guy to be called up or something like that. Cause even, even when those guys get called up, I remember people using their number one waiver claim on Casey Mize last year. And it's like, well, how did that work out? You know, you can't just assume that these rookies are going to come up and be like Mike Trout and dominate right away. Like it's, you're going to, you're going to miss out on legitimate good players by doing it that way. I agree. And honestly, I used to be guilty of waiting and waiting, but I realized you'll probably get more production out of turning and burning out of, out of just picking up, Joe Schmo for a week or two, ride the hot hand, then yep. you will. I mean, don't get me wrong. Does it pay off? Sure, every once in a while. The problem is, is all it takes is one time of it paying off for you to be like, oh, no. I uh, <laughs> now, now you're chasing that high again, so to speak. You know, you're really trying to hit yep. on that. You're trying to hit on that. Like, you're trying to be like, oh, three years ago, I picked up Acuna. Like, bad bad example. Three years ago, I got Soto off the waiver wire because I was patient with my, with my pickups, with my waiver wire claims. Yeah. Well, there's not – I'm sorry to tell you, but there might not be another Soto for another 10 years, you know? If so. Ever. Yeah, exactly. If ever off the waiver wire. So that's not that's not common. The problem is, I think where it becomes an issue and and becomes tougher to gauge is what's real and what's not. Like, do you drop a guy who has a hot month who struggles for two weeks, but then next, you know, he picks it up. It's like, crap. Like, what do you do there? You know, and it's usually not that long. Usually a month you'll hold on. But maybe a couple, maybe they have a hot week or two. It, it depends on like, you know, the guy like if we were talking about like, a you know, top 10 pick or something that you've invested a lot of draft capital in that you obviously believed in before the season. Yeah, I'm not going to give up on him just because yeah. he struggles for a couple of weeks. But I'm talking about those guys more in like the 15 to 30 round range where, um, you know, and even 15, maybe not that high. But it just depends. Like it, it depends on what you're seeing. Are you seeing? Is he not making good contact? Is he getting unlucky? What's his BABIP? You know, uh, Statcast. Is he is he in line? Does it look like he's hiding an injury? Like, there's a lot of things to consider there. Exactly. And I was actually more so referring to the players you pick up off the waiver wire. How long you should hold on to them before cutting oh. bait? Like, oh. if they have, say say you held on to them and they've been killing it, crushing it for two to three weeks, and you're looking at the stats and things just look good. But how much yeah. of that is looking good because they were hot? And then how long do you give them? Just a week? Like, it's hard to honestly. It's a tough thing to gauge. There's no. I don't think there's really a right answer. No. Wrong. The wrong. The right. The wrong answer is don't hold on to them too long. I would personally like if they have a hot three weeks struggle for a week. I might give them one more week to see what happens and then drop them. I'm more of like a, just like there's times where it's like, I'll cut bait and like, Oh crap, I regret that. But that's why it's like, I've learned it's like almost like a two week grace period. If they, like once they earn it, if they, if they demolish it for my team for two or three weeks, especially in formats that aren't daily, I'm willing to give them one week. Okay. They struggled. Let me see why, what happened? Did they face more lefties? Were they just having hard, t- you know, whatever it might be. Can I find a reason for the struggles or was it due? If you, or if you look at the numbers, was it regression that was due? That, there's a lot, like you said, there's a lot that goes into it, but in each, it's each, each thing is case dependent, but it's just hard. Like that's like, I don't know. I feel, I feel like you can ask 10 different people. You'll get 10 different answers on when to drop a player who you picked up off the waiver wire that did well and is struggling now. Uh, yeah. It's, it's all in your kind of feel for <laughs> yeah, exactly, you know, it, it's, is that player giving you something that you didn't have? You know, are you getting, uh, you know, something that your team lacks Then you might want to hold on to them or, and, you know, if you if some guys have skills growth, if you believe he legitimately grew skills wise, then yeah, hold on to him. It's just it's just tough to tell sometimes because honestly, especially early in the season when you don't have any data, you don't have a long track record of data at that point. Right. So it becomes it's a real and but 
I think and a lot of it, I have to go back to remembering this is 162 games, not 60. So the whole being aggressive, targeting, plate appearances, although you still want plate appearances, you still want at bats. It's not as like you can be a little more patient and seeing how te- how things fall out because you're going to have time to do that. You'll have time to adjust. It's not like, oh, crap. I. It's almost like you had to go into a fantasy football mindset of playing week to week instead of playing the long-term game last year. Right. And this year you have to transition back into that. Although I think teams are going to be treating things differently. Like You're going to see so many closure by committees and so yeah. much like six-man rotations that it's going to be tough. Like you might two start week, two start guys are going to be harder to come by and you're going to see fab be, Oh, it's going to be, it's going to be crazy. I'm looking forward to hearing you, you rant about that later. I know it's going to happen. I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a Dave rant on this podcast about, about fab being so such a mess because just overall gauging what's going to happen with pitchers and relievers. And Oh man. Oh man. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a very, is this going to be, we've never had this before. Like no. off, uh, a short season going into a full season like this, like, it's going to be crazy to see uh, the valuations going on. And then in 2022, I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but 2022, not only we're we facing lockout because of the whole CBA, but then we're facing like our people, our teams going to stick with this. Is this going to be the new norm? Is this going to, are they going to transition back into the, the traditional five man rotation? What's going to be a traditional rotation at that point. But then again, if it's shortened, now we're going back into a shortened season and then we have to go back into a transition into a larger season again. It's a yeah. mess these few years. I'm yeah. being ahead of myself. I hate the thought of it. But overall, it's it's a loaded question. But what are just some of the things you've learned over the years of playing? Just some lessons learned you played as as an analyst, as a player, whatever you want to shed some light on this. On, on uh, the way out. Lessons learned in uh, fantasy baseball in general. I guess like overall, like things you've ta- like some maybe some like lo- some of your larger takeaways. Some of the things that like. Like obviously injuries kind of sticks out to me. That's not something you probably from day one noticed. So obviously your one of your yeah. bigger lessons learned have been like taking injury, putting your injury, putting analysis like injury analysis into your like evaluation process and all that. Is yeah, there anything- I mean, a so- lot of that just comes from learning um, from playing as long as I have. You know, it's it's when I see people being overly optimistic about injury risks, it, it reminds me of me when I first started, and I was like, okay, I you know, and I, I don't want to sound condescending like that that means that they're just starting but i see a lot of over overly optimistic people when it comes to every stuff and like you know people were taking chris sale again this year saying well i get you know when he comes back he's gonna be chris sale and i'm like this is this is not this is not how it works like you don't come back from tommy john and immediately like first start back boom your your money or like a couple starts even like He's not going to be himself. He's still going to. He's going to be rusty. His velo is probably going to be down. They're going to baby him. He's not going to have as many innings. That he's going to pitch. Like people don't think about the the realistic parts of of injury risk assessment. Like you're getting a guy coming off of Tommy John. He his control is going to be off. Um, I always tell people think about an injured player as a different player from their healthy self. So like I was saying last year with Justin Verlander. Justin Verlander is a great pitcher. This is not Justin Verlander. This is injured Justin Verlander. You can't treat injured Justin Verlander as Justin Verlander. So stop looking at his stats. Stop picturing that 2.5 ERA and 11K per nine into or 12 or whatever he was at. Stop picturing that in your in your lineup. You're not getting that guy. So I think when people start being more realistic, um, then they can start to correctly value things, uh, players. And that's a big thing that I learned. Um, you know, we talked about the draft strategy, you know, things like looking for pockets of value in the draft. Like if I'm noticing a, this is like a pocket where a bunch of really good hitters go, I want to position myself so that I need to take a hitter at that point. 
So I want to make sure that I'm set on where I need to be at that point in the draft and pitching to take a to take advantage of the value in the draft in those pockets. So I always I always try to, you know, I the first thing I do when preparing is I download the ADP into Excel and I start looking and I say, okay, I love this strip. Like I highlight these are targets, these are guys I like, these are guys I'm avoiding uh, at their draft cost, and I start trying to figure out which positions really fall off, which which resources really go dry up quickly. And I'm just looking for the best way to create a balanced team in every draft that I'm in. Um, and it kind of also depends too. Make sure that you're always looking at the format that you're in, studying the rules, making sure you're taking advantage of every in and out that you can. You know, like people drafting a roto league the same way that they draft a points league, that's not how you do it. Or, you know, OBP leagues the same way as an average league. Um, you have to make sure that you're taking advantage of every in and out that you can so that you can win your draft and then come into the season only being short in the categories that you can easily make up in season. Gotcha. Yeah, man. I mean, that's, that kind of goes like these last two, like lessons learned slash advice kind of play into each other. So that's, that was really good stuff. And before you get out of here, because I've kept you as I honestly called it, I'd say about an hour and a half. And that's what I'm <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that was before the hour. This has been two and a half hours of us talking now. Right. Um, Cause that was an hour of pre-production. Uh, talk but overall what is your favorite league to play in do you have a home league you love the most do you i just like to get to know people in terms of like i know we know what you play a lot of but what's your favorite what's your favorite format favorite league you play i it's it's still the nfbc main event like is it yeah i just especially well especially in person i'm guessing yeah exactly like in person it's just a different atmosphere it's not yeah it's not the best for roi like i said before but when you're just trying to play against the best players in the world and, you know, again, caveat here, not necessarily all of the best players in the world, et cetera, but you know, it's the best measuring stick in my opinion for, for who the best players and, and you get to go up against the best. And I like to show people, you know, what I can do. And it's, it's also the camaraderie and the community behind NFBC. Like when you go to these live events and you're sitting at a draft table with 14 other guys in your, and then like, after every break and then after the whole thing you're walking around you're looking at other drafts and you're talking with everybody and it's just such a it's like it's the best thing ever i mean it's the weekend that i look forward to the most every year when we go to vegas to draft our our teams uh with my boys so um it's still it'll always be my favorite league and my favorite draft and everything so uh yeah that's definitely what i look forward to i hear nothing but great things about those live events from all of you guys i talked to vlad and you know yourself that's where i met vlad you know like 12 (laughs) years ago we met at uh in vegas man that's i i want to it's just so like me again me having the kids and the wife it's just hard to make it out there but man even if i couldn't play even if i didn't go there to play just to go there and watch because i went to um something i recommend you definitely should do if you haven't was is check out one of these um first pitch florida's or arizona's I yeah, I've it's been so much fun. I've I've heard that from everybody, and I would love to come and hang out with you well, guys. I was gonna say what it is is I actually I want to get out to Arizona if they have it this year. I've never been to either, but last year I went to Florida when they had it for the first time back in Florida for I guess after a few years. And dude, not only do you get to meet everybody in person, but like I, obviously these days with the podcast and tw- how everything is, a lot of it like right now we're talking face to face or as close as you can be face to face these days. Yeah, and, and um, yeah, with, especially with COVID. But um, that's the thing. It's like, and we live what? Where do you, where are you from? Oh, you're in Ohio, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm I'm in Florida. So yeah, this is as close as it can get, right? But yeah. before before <laughs> this, like I podcasted for a year without 
doing video. So I never knew what these guys looked like. And then not only do you get a chance to meet them in person, but you get a chance to really just be a fly on the wall. And like I'm watching what, what last year was the auction, the mixed auction tout league or whatever. Uh, I forgot which one it was. Uh, I was watching. I think they had two of them there. And I was just watching them. And I was like, this just being a fly on the wall, watching how they bid, watching who they like, the players they like, the players they truly like, because these are, you know, big, big name. This was a big name league that one of the, uh, the analyst leagues. So just kind of being a fly on the wall, asking them, talking player evaluation in person is a big, it's weird. You would think it'd be the same. It just feels different. There's a and you mentioned probably similar to what you were mentioning with that different vibe, different yeah. atmosphere of drafting live, just being yeah. with these people and talking baseball. And all it is is baseball and beer the whole time. Some bur- <laughs> some some bourbon in there too, some other alcohol. But it's a lot of there's, there's a lot of beer, a lot of talk, dude. I honestly, I'm a big guy. I like to eat. I don't think I ate like for the hours I was at these conferences because I was just so busy and I love talking. So guess what <laughs> I did? I did a lot of drinking, a lot of talking, and. <laughs> It was just, but dude, not only do you learn so much, but you just get to know these people on a different level. And it's just an amazing experience. I recommend anybody who's, you don't even have to be an analyst to go to these things and enjoy them because there was a lot of people there. And dude, seeing Alex fast, it was funny because it's like a, where, where you started, where you finished type of deal. He started last year at like, you know, presenting at first pitch Florida. And next, you know, he's on MLB, the show, <laughs> the show, that's the baseball MLB network. And uh, it was just crazy. It's crazy. But he he's so, he's such a voice for our community. And but dude, you like he didn't. Doesn't matter if you were a big name analyst. Didn't matter if you were a guy there supporting us and supporting his work by just being there, watching him and listening. He was willing to talk to you, and that's the type of access you don't always have on Twitter. And you get the chance to really know the people behind the behind the Twitter page. And that's why I think podcasting is the next closest thing to that because obviously people get a chance to hear your voice, get yeah. an idea of who you are behind the Twitter page. And Dave, I think we did a good job with that today. So on your way out, please plug everything where they can find you and all that good stuff. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, so I guess <laughs> to start, my Twitter handle is at run D McD R U N D M C D. Make sure you add that D otherwise you get the band. Um, and, uh, you can find me on my podcast. It's uh rotosaurus high stakes heat. And, uh, as Mike mentioned, uh, I am all over the place on Twitter as well. Um, and also to plug our friend, uh, Michael Simeon's draft kit, SP streamer draft kit that, uh, Mike and I both, uh, contribute to there's too many mics I, <laughs> he's okay. michael he's simeone i'm mike yeah <laughs> simeone and carlin all right um and uh let's see what else we got coming up we got uh i'm also helping justin mason with his uh uh pot is coming up and also he's doing a really cool thing for his wife because she's gonna be in tgfi yeah. this year so he's having a bunch of analysts on to help her <laughs> kind of prepare for it by kind of teaching her how to do you know strategy and draft prep and all that stuff because she's never really I, I don't think played at this level before um which i think is awesome i think it's really cool that they can share that i mean they kind of share everything so sometimes they share too much but <laughs> that's what makes them them though man without that without that would fantasy baseball twitter really be fantasy baseball twitter <laughs> no yeah no she's she's great um danielle is awesome and uh she's a funny uh follow and her and Justin are always going back and forth. Basically, she abuses him repeatedly. And he, and he seems to like it. He takes it. Yeah, yeah, he definitely likes it. <laughs> um, but it's they're, they're, they're great to uh, interact with. And uh, so helping him out with that, uh, I think that's – I mean, I'm going to – oh, tomorrow I'm going to be on uh, the Fantasy Best Ball exclusive podcast with Brian Seymour. Um, which is funny because I don't even, this is the second time I'm going to be on that and I've never even played a best ball before, but, um, no, Brian's a really good guy. Uh, oh yeah, he is. He's been on the show before. Smart yeah, guy. Really smart guy. Really, really nice guy. And, uh, he really likes, um, my analysis, I guess. So 
Uh, I guess he feels like that. Can someone, someone's that. got, someone's got to like it, man. I know. Right? <laughs> hey, I, I liked it enough to bring you on, right? I appreciate that. Yeah. So I think, uh, I think that's pretty much it for now. So yeah, come and uh, come and hang out with us and talk, and you know, that's pretty much it. I well, again, I appreciate you joining me for this long, long episode compared to our usual stuff. But it was a lot of fun, a lot of good times, and a lot of tangents. My favorite. But as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore Curland. Please, on your way out, a five star rating review is greatly appreciated. And as always, we appreciate you tuning in, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.